Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Good evening. Welcome to the War Room. This is Bill Evans, your host from the Casa Sanchez here in Moreno Valley, California. Got my uh, the uh, chief cook and bottle washer and commandant of Reconstructionist Radio, Jason Sanchez, uh, sitting across the table from me here. Got his. Got uh, a little audience here. Let's introduce everybody. My name is Matt. I would be the, the, the head chef and cook's cousin. <laughs> and we've got Gilbert. Gilbert? Yeah, Gilbert Lino's here. Uh, Gilbert is a, a good brother. Uh, hails originally from Belize. Uh, and you guys are checking out the same congregation right now. And the pastor of? Sovereign Grace Community Church. Uh, go ahead. Paris, California. Uh, Gabriel Colangelo. So just glad to be here with you guys uh, chit-chatting about life yeah just who would have guessed it just a few days ago i was uh i was sharpening my sword in anticipation of of uh shaving pastor colangelo and here we are tonight sharing some good adult beverage some really fine high i mean this is like high grade 16 year old scotch and we've got some uh uh havana seed uh, cigars and this is pretty free freestyle we're just basically uh, this is kind of like they do it on Apologia Radio. <laughs> we just sit around and cut up mainly. So anyway, uh, we're just going to let you uh, be a fly on the wall and eavesdrop on what we do, and, and some of this may be useful, and if not, it'll just end up in the uh, in the archives. And, and, and uh, so anyway, guys, welcome to the War Room. Good to be here, brother. Glad you're uh, here to grace us with your presence. I know you're all over the country, and, and you, he just did 11 hours of driving just to get here. And, uh, you know, him and Ruger are having a good time, I think. So. Yep, yep, yep. And hopefully we're going to get a chance to meet with some uh, brethren up along the coast. You all saw some of my video I shot from Pismo Beach last week. We're going to go head back up. Lord willing, I'm going to meet with uh, Ronald Kirk, and uh, who wrote, who was the author of uh, uh, his uh, Thy Will Be Done. And I'm, I'm excited about starting into that book. And then also he's promised to trying to hook up with Marshall Foster. Some of you know Marshall Foster is a professor of history, works with closely with um, Kirk Cameron in their documentaries. And uh, so uh, there's opportunities everywhere. And uh, so we're here just here tonight and join each other's fellowship. And uh, I, I like uh, Brian Abshire's got a YouTube series called How to Take Over the World in 10 Easy Steps. It's basically, you know, it's kind of a spoof on, I think he's not really a spoof, but guys, what what are the what are the pressing issues? Let, let's catch our viewers up to speed of what we talked about for the last hour. Abortion, elections, God's judgment on this country. So to summarize, there's been some various views. But let's just hit it, hit the ball out the park, get it going, right? So let me ask you guys this. And I haven't, this is off the cut. You guys haven't heard this question posed to you before. I would say this. We, we agree that... Uh, national folks 
Bill had brought up focusing on the national level politics is not the focus and the way to go, and I think we all agree with that. It's at the local level. However, what if, and I don't think you guys believe that that will happen, but what if Trump is successful and the Republican Party is successful at overturning Roe v. Wade, at overturning Obamacare, at overturning a lot of these things that we would say are unethical or wrong, if he does that, what do you say? Let's, let's just give the hypothetical. So we're not arguing will he or won't he. Well, if he Do does we that, apologize to him or do we say, hey, you're still an evil bastard, so to speak? <laughs> well, we say praise God that, that that is done because a nation is judged based upon the laws that they enact. Right? So if, if our nation enacts laws against the murder of the unborn, against homosexual uh, mirage or marriage, uh, then praise God, because that's one step closer to enacting righteous laws in the land, right? But the judgment of God is upon us because we haven't done those things. And in, in, in fact, we've gone the opposite direction, and we're, we have this massive snowball rolling downhill, and it's picking up speed. And, I mean, look at the election. Look at the two options, the, the, the two uh, major options we have, Hillary and, Clinton, and Trump. And even Gary Johnson, who was... Pro-abortion. Any libertarian would say most libertarians are against them too. Right, so. right. So it's my, three bad my, qu- so. my question is: If Trump, Pence, and the powers that be were to move to annul Roe v. Wade, what would be their motivation? They're certainly not going to get it from the church. Right. Not in its current condition. You know, is what what Gary North said, and I've quoted many times. Comes up about every third podcast. So the problem is not abortion. The problem is a worldview that even makes it thinkable. Mm-hmm. See, the problem is we still have a worldview. He says we've got a we've got a society that demands it and a nation that profits from it. And so, what, if they were to do that, mm-hmm. and that would you know, and I, I would ask Jason, do you get points for doing the right thing for the wrong reason? In other words, if if they did move, let's say they stuck their wind, their finger in the air mm-hmm. and determined that the wind was blowing, that they needed to, to do that. And that's what but, they've done. But they weren't doing it in response to the fact that God's law requires it. And they were, you know, making up some other sort of a, a, human, human, a humanitarian, mm-hmm. which I can't imagine them even doing. Uh, because well, what's that because, other libertarian guy? He's kind of made that argument. He ran against Johnson and lost. He, he's an agnostic, but yet he has very kind of a libertarian, what we'd say, like a reformed libertarian view. They had him on, uh, Jeff Durbin and those guys had him on their oh, show. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Austin Peterson. Oh, yeah. So say he's agnostic, but he's pro-life. Uh, if, you, if you heard him, you'd, you'd think he would almost be a reconstructionist in some points, right? But he, he kind of, not humanist, he doesn't go on the humanist line, but he just would say, hey, <laughs> if we're going to be libertarians, we got to have liberty for the unborn. And he's like your neighbor that comes over and borrows a cup of sugar. Yeah, Is so he- we, we would say his worldview is inconsistent as to why he's doing it. But I think you pose a good question. Maybe, Jason, what do you think? If, uh, I, I know what I well, Seth, you think. I, I would say, yeah, even if it's the wrong reason, I would rather have you doing the right thing for the wrong reason than the wrong thing with the wrong reason. Right. I mean, well, first of all, I think that Trump is a, a master populist. Right. So he's going to do what Bill is saying. Correct. But at the same time, I, we, we're not to judge the motives. Those things, Bill, you know my favorite verse. Right. The secret things belong to the Lord. But those things that have been revealed belong to us. So... If somebody does enact righteous law, then I'm going to praise God and I'm going to, uh, you know, be happy about it. Yeah, Cyrus rebuilt the temple. Right. Yeah. You know, and God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. That's right. Uh, here's what I would submit, though, is that a more 
a, 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 I think a more realistic scenario mm-hmm. is that a state like Oklahoma, which is the only state in the union that voted all red, every county, right. because it is the most red, it is a conservative state, and of course it's the home of the word faith movement, but it's a... Yeah, they would not abolish abortion. But they, they right. no, and, and they didn't primarily because they were counseled against it by people like Tony Lounger and their own and their own clergy. But if a state practicing what Matt Trahella teaches on regarding the, the doctrine of interposition, the doctrine of lesser magistrate, if a governor in, in Arkansas, in Oklahoma, in Tennessee were to say, or they were to be able to... Christians, in, you know, what, what Tim Yarbrough likes to say is that there's these different spheres of influence. And his mistake, he said, and he's the... This is the most tactical guy I've spoken with. He said, for the the first part of my adulthood, I spent, I, I made my major mistake was I spent all my energy in in spheres where I had the least amount of influence, right. namely at national at the national level. Right. He said, where I have the most amount of influence is local, right. and obviously my own family, self-government, family government, my congregation, and my local county. They're literally running, they're preparing men, they're training men catechizing men, if you will, for political service to run for every elected position in the county to take that county right. and to uh, uh, hopefully uh, affect, you know, uh, uh, um, where they begin to integrate the law of God and justice and mercy and righteousness into the decision-making processes and the, and the laws at a local level. But a, a, a governor of a state... Yeah could simply tell the United States government nuts. They could say, we're disregarding your Supreme Court opinion. Judges don't make laws. We have a state constitution, and our sworn obligation is to protect, uh, provide equal protection of the law to all citizens. And, uh, and, and so we're saying that you don't need to pass an amendment. Right. You don't need to pa- revoke Roe v. Wade. You just simply say we're ignoring it, yep. right. and that could happen at a local level. Would it? Would it result in a showdown? I'm sure it would result in a legal showdown, but um, I believe if they did that, that would embolden other states to join them, yeah. and then you'd have sort of a Mexican standoff. Well, you'd have not even the state. Let's start at the county level. Like like Joel says, if we get a county sheriff to be able to to grasp the doctrine of interposition. And we have that sheriff stand up against the state and the, and the federal beast. Then it would embolden others. I, I, would I think it would, but the problem, the challenge is, there's only 50 states in the union, and there, in most, you know, most medium-sized counties, uh, most medium-sized states, there may be 100, 150 counties in the state. So yes, the sheriff is the highest elected officer in the county, and I agree with that. But then again. Unless you had already eradicated or abolished the police force mm-hmm. and all the various other miscellaneous state law enforcement agencies that operate within that county, it, it's too easy to isolate and marginalize a sheriff. Yes, I mean, even a guy like a, you know, a Joe Arpaio or a, or a Sheriff Mack or strong leaders, it's too easy. But a governor is at the top of the gene pool. In his state, he is the chief executive. That is a truly an executive position like a president. He's the president of a state. Well, then let's move into secession. If we can get a governor to say, look, we want to secede from the union. I know you guys are talking about writing a book. What, what, talk, I, to, I, talk to us about that. Well, 
Is is it a pipe dream? Uh, I don't think that the um, first of all, secession, which basically just means separation, right? Uh, which is basically the root concept in the word sanctification to be separated unto the Lord to separate our, ourselves for we sanctify ourselves separate ourselves unto the Lord the Lord becomes more sanctified to us we set him apart and put him in a place of esteem where where he's preeminent prominent nothing else competes with God in our affections uh, which is basically the same concept of being holy so this is a concept that permeates scripture obviously uh, and we talked about earlier um I, I'm interested in, in probably compiling a book that would involve people like George Grant and 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 and, and Kaiser Phil Kaiser and some others. But the, uh, secession being a biblical doctrine, the doctrine of separation. Uh, secession is all over Scripture. You know, man secedes from his father and mother, cleaves to his wife, starts a new government, family government. Uh, we've got. Uh, God t- takes his people, removes his people out of Egypt. We've got the northern ten tribes secede from the southern tribes. This was it orchestrated by God himself in First Kings. Uh, we've got with Rehoboam and Jeroboam. We've got uh, the, the command that we separate ourselves from ungodliness, that we touch no unclean thing. We come out from among them, be separate. Light has no fellowship with darkness. So we have women who uh, sue for lawful divorce. They, they're abused by a husband, spouse. They, they sue. Uh, they're not required to stay in that in that in that abusive uh, re- relationship. Uh, they're not required. They can. They may. Their children may be sanctified if they do, but but they're allowed to do it. There's such thing as lawful divorce. And so all we're simply saying is that when separation occurs between former political allies, it's called secession. It doesn't mean declaring war. Uh, there have been numerous cases of secession. You know, let's face it. When the when the when the Soviet Union disbanded. When it unraveled, these these republics, former Soviet republics, seceded. They basically it, the, the Soviet Union broke apart. Uh, N- Norway seceded from Sweden. Southern Sudan seceded from Northern Sudan. And when and when the Soviet Union broke up, Americans applauded it. We thought that's great. But sometimes it brings war. The, certainly, in our own history, the thirteen colonies, thirteen nation states, formed a compact and seceded from the Empire of Great Britain. And, that, and I would submit to you that that is the prescription that not, that our founders learned, and I'm not implying that they were all evangelical Christians, but they're certainly, they, they, they did come from a Christian world and life view, by and large. I'm not saying it wasn't infected by deism or Masonic tradition or things like that, but they wouldn't have had to look no further than the Old Testament to see a, a pattern for that, where the ten tribes seceded from the... You know, our God brought His took His people out of Egypt. So, the thirteen colonies seceded from Great Britain. They didn't declare war on Great Britain. They declared independence from Great Britain. And uh, now, I don't want to go back and try to relive the war of the eighteen sixties. That, but that was a failed attempt. Uh, And I would submit that what happened. One of my pet peeves. I don't use the word federal anymore because federal means covenant. We haven't had a covenanted government since. 1860. We have a national government. I would submit that we have a crime syndicate posing as a national government. But be that as it may, I believe that that and it's been predicted. And certain in the in the aftermath of posts of Trump's election, you see students in Oregon and California calling for secession. Now, unbeknownst to most Americans, nor New England kicked around the idea of secession before the South ever did, and that was during the War of 1812 called the Hartford Convention. 
So they recognized that secession was not prohibited by uh, the compact, by the Constitution. It was, you know, the Ninth and Tenth Amendment basically reserved to the rights and to the people any any powers not delineated to the central government at that time. And, so, and you could still go on online and print out the form as a state and file it with the government to secede. They have those. They're just not going to ever allow you, but you can file for it. Well, I, I don't. I, listen, I'm. <laughs> Some would say that we really do live. I mean, if you if you look at the the, the 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 makeup of the American people, we really are not one country. Right. There, you know, uh, the people in, and I'm not talking about the Sanchez household, are, are the members of, of of your of your all's congregation. But by and large, most people in the let's say the the southeast or the Midwest perceive Californians and people that live on the left coast as being of a totally different mindset about right. what constitutes legitimate government and government involvement in their lives. By and large, that's true, yeah. You know, and so, but I, and I don't know, I, I'm not, I don't entertain for a second that the American people have the right stuff. But I would submit this, if, if the state of, let's say, Texas or Montana were to declare their independence from the United States for, for, to establish a, a Christian republic, mm-hmm. or for any reason whatsoever, and I may have, you know, scholars may, may, may disagree with me, I would submit to you that if they, enacted a few simple uh, laws. Number one, we're going to eradic- we're going to eliminate personal and corporate income tax because that's theft. Right. That sub- that that basically uh, uh, consigns you to servitude. Mm-hmm. It means you're our property. If we can tax you, if we can, if we have help ourselves to your income, uh, that we're going to eradicate property tax mm-hmm. and inheritance tax mm-hmm. as ungodly. We're going to outlaw abortion. We're going to outlaw. Uh, homosexuality. We're going to not have any state education. Uh, parents are going to be compelled to find alternative methods of, of educating their children. And we're not going to have any welfare. Well, if that's all you did, you'd have an, you'd create an immediate exodus of people from that area right. who want to flee to the federal to the central government tit, right. wherever that. Right. And you'd have liberty lovers and Christians. And, and, and if you said, and the Ten Commandments are going to be the law of the land, and Jesus Christ is king of this new republic, you'd have an exodus of Christians rushing in yep. and become a fortified city on a hill. And it would become a beacon of liberty for the rest of the world. Matt would have to, because he'd be out of a job as a tax uh, guy, right? Or accountant. You know, we'd abolish all these He laws. could find what honest do, income. Man? I'm sure he you could find honest work somewhere. Smart guy like you. I would happily, happily give up my job. You could, you could oversee and, uh, the head tax. I, yeah. I absolutely I could. I, I mean, I can. I, even if that wasn't the case, I could. I have other routes. I got other avenues. I could. If go you're for. smart enough to be an accountant, you're smart enough to find another. Exactly. Job. Always always and I'm aware of that. that. <laughs> and the only reason I do it right now is because it's so it's so convoluted and complicated yeah. that the, the average no person can't so, do so it. So I mean, yeah. that, that that is that could that ever happen? I, I, it, well, we talk about okay. America all the time, but what about a country like Belize, where, where Gilbert's from? We we're just talking about that. It's a, a land that's full possible. of expatriates. I mean, we we can have a city on the hill anywhere on this earth. So, uh, let, me, let me even back up a step from that. Which one's mine? This is yours, right? Oh, uh, this is mine. Uh, we're the, trying to find our drinks. Here. Oh. What? Not that I'm opposed to that. Here. That's an empty one. <laughs> Not that I'm opposed to that idea. I think it's a kind of a, a utopian idea, if you will, right? But why not uh, maybe go a step lower? Let's say what Ron Paul has advocated, or even what you brought up, how things were prior to 1860. Not with the slavery issue, of course, but just the issue of. We have a federal system, but but um, why not move toward it? We have a federal USA, but the states ultimately have much more autonomy than they do today. 
I'd say that'd be something that pragmatically is. If, if you had a gov, if you had a, if you had a confederation of fifty states, mm-hmm. where each one was allowed to exercise their own prerogative as far as experimenting with their particular brand of freedom, people could vote with their feet. If they didn't like the way it was in one state, they could move to another state. Right. But what you've got, have. but you've got a central government right. that wants to impose a one size fits all scheme on everybody. So there's no, there's no, there's no escaping. I would right. submit that. Lincoln didn't end slavery; just expanded the plantation. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, we're all on it. So, again, my question is: is it's like it's like the Israel it's like the Israelites longing for Egypt. What is it about the? I mean, people, Americans tend to conflate the terms "my country" and "my nation," my home and my nation. Uh, now, what's been destroyed now with a mobile society and technology is that we don't really necessarily have a loyalty to a geographic location the way people did perhaps where they had multiple generations of their family had lived on the land. And I, I would submit that Jason's, he has more probably in a spiritual, personal sense, has more feel, more a, a sense of allegiance to Cuba than he does the United States government because that's the land of his family. I mean, he's an American, but he but there's a longing. He loves it because that's his people. Now, I'm going to say it's tribalism, right? No, I, I, I don't yeah, mean to speak you know, for you. Well, I say maybe in the past that would be the case, but but now it, I see myself as a uh, just a, a, a citizen of the kingdom of God, of Christ. Well, that's true. So that's I, true. I, 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 I wrote on Facebook, I think, yesterday that the problem with the church is that we look through American eyes here in, in the nation of America. We look through American eyes instead of through biblical eyes. And that's what's been hindering us. So this constitution that was enacted in 1789 was a, was a, was a compact of neutrality. And so we brought in this, this idea that mm-hmm. uh, we can serve other gods, which is an abomination inside of God. So we've been on, I believe that the judgment of God, God has been on this nation at least since 1789. I agree. So we have universalists and we have deists and we have... Uh, you have people who've read Gary's, Gary North's book, <clears throat> Conspiracy, Conspiracy in Philadelphia, Philadelphia and people right. who haven't. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? Everybody needs to read Conspiracy in Philadelphia. Or listen to it on Reconstructionist Radio. Could be, right. You could be a Reconstructionist and not hold that because Rush no, Dooney, Dooney didn't. held that, that it was right. simply a, a constitution was simply procedural law and North had held that it was a document of neutrality but... Yeah, you can see Joe McDermott and uh, Mark Rush doing. He talked about this in the Q and A session at the Bonson conference. Right, right. I think I'm sitting in the front row. I was looking at this guy. Like, man, that looks like me. Man. And then all of a sudden, I realized as I'm watching the video, oh, that is me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, they actually they had a good little dialogue on that. And I remember you brought that up to me uh, a while back. Uh, but so, so I guess what I notice is so, sometimes we kind of become very hard line on some of these things. Like, so is the Constitution legitimate or illegitimate i think mark rush answer was it didn't go far enough but if we can get the government to start holding to that that would be a step in the right direction but you would say no i would say that the underlying principle that we need to have as christians is that there's no neutrality because the enemy never holds to a neutral position right i mean that's why they've succeeded with homosexual marriage and with abortion because they believe that there is no neutrality they're militant in the way they go about things but the church <clears throat> because of the R2K uh, theologies and dispensationalism where they're waiting to escape this world has, has tainted the militancy of the church. We have to rise up and understand that the gates of hell will not prevail and that we are to attack 
and be on the offensive. And so when the Christians start becoming uh, epistemologically self-conscious and understanding that we are the heirs of the kingdom, that we are the adopted sons of the Most High God, that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and we are to go and bring the Great Commission to, to the whole world. Forget just America. I mean, we, we, again, we think with American eyes, patriotism and our homeland, but our homeland is this, this earth. We were talking about John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the cosmos. Let's stop thinking only about America. Let's think about Cuba. Let's think about Belize. Let's think about Nigeria and, and, and England, everywhere. We have to be global citizens of the global kingdom of Christ. That would be a good hat. Let's make the cosmos great again. If you ask most American Christians, most yeah. people who identify as Christians, and, and they would give primacy to being an American before they would list Christian. Right. I said, right. I'm American, I'm Christian. They would get down you know, and, it, and, it's, and it's subconscious. If you put anything before God, it's idolatry. That's, it's blasphemous. That's, that's what's going on with the blue line. Right. Well, yeah. Your yeah, partner. Well, and that's another thing. I mean, we're, we're having your a, partner could do anything, right. and you're going to cover for him. You're going to cover for him. So I, I want to talk to Gilbert because he's had a passion and uh, something that's been on his heart for a long time, and it's families and ha having a strong fatherhood figure in the home and a strong mother. And the Leno family, I, I, I look up to them because they do carry out the Great Commission in the home. Brother Gilbert, if, if you could talk on that a bit. It... Yeah, so one thing my father did for me, um, coming from Belize, uh, I didn't have a father and he, you know, he, when I was born, he just left. So when I came to America, my mom was already out here when I was 12 years old. And she, she had married my, I guess he's technically my stepdad, but he's my father. Um, I don't, I don't never, I've never called him stepdad. Um, but when I came, uh, the first day here in America, I got here August 19th, 1990, on a Sunday night. And Monday morning, he came back. He was a business owner, a contractor. And I slept in for most of the day, and he came back and woke me up and took me to work with him. And he told me that um, since I was 11, almost 12 years old, he told me that I had, till I was 18, and he was going to teach me everything he knows so that I would be a man and be able to take care of myself and, and give to my children what he's going to give to me. And so for, I guess, six years or so, he just, he, every, we went to work every day. Even when I went to school, after school, I would go home and he would have work for me to do. Um, just training me, and at 17 years old, he, uh, I guess, kind of gave me the right hand of, of manhood and shook my hand and told me that uh, that I'm a man and I have nothing to prove to him, but just to go out and live all that he's taught me. And I, I got, I professed faith at that time, even though I wasn't living. I, I'm not sure if I was saved until I was about 22. That's when I really started living for the Lord. But um, he. He just gave me a vision to to do whatever it is the Lord has has called me to do with the abilities He's given me, and and now I'm married with five children, and I think Voldy Bakum kind of talks about uh, having your children and launching them, you know. And so that's what my wife and I've been They're arrows to, to be shot. Yeah, yeah. You know, God gives you a quiver, and you raise them up and train them up and and send them out to. To live for the Lord. Have you heard, you remember what Bojadar said? The most valuable thing you can give to your children? 
What's that? A future. There you go. Yeah. He talks about training his children that out there there's 100 acres mm-hmm. that God has set set aside for them. Mm-hmm. And when they find that, that, that land that God has set aside for them, got their name on it, they're to turn it into a garden. Yep. yep. Yeah, so I've, we've been training our children to, to do just that, to, to go out. Um, we, we homeschool all of, our, all of our kids, and my wife does most of the teaching, and I, uh, I teach them Mondays and Fridays, and she teaches on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and we just teach them about the Lord and all that we know. We're not, I'm not highly intelligent. I barely graduated high school, but whatever the Lord has given me, we, we teach them, and we're just training them to go out and just live for the Lord in whatever area um, that, that he has you. Amen. So, brother, being you're from Compton, right? Right. You can't, okay, and your wife is from South Central. Right. From, She's Watts. from Watts. Right. So, after seeing uh, the theology and, and the worldview that we talk about all the time, and, and, and enacting it in your family, and then going back to the hood and, and, and going back to the to your your people, what is it that's missing? What is it that, that you need to go back to and, and, and teach them to obey all that God has commanded? What are the things that that we can bring? And start transforming that culture. That's a difficult thing that I'm I'm honestly trying to figure out right now. I've been listening to uh, Reconstructionist Radio and, and just trying to figure out how to get this message over to the hood because we are in the hood. We're in a sense programmed to think a certain way. Um, we're not. We're, we're still not free, as you were talking about earlier, brother. Uh, we don't. We don't have a. a, a we don't think as free men. It's all about what the state is going to do, and so it's 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 honestly difficult to to get this to get this back to the hood. But what we are doing is we invite family and friends over to our home, you know, Thanksgiving and occasions like that, and we just have a chance to 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 talk about these things and just plant seeds. Um, right now, we have a family that's, that's going to be moving with us. This, this month and they'll be living with us for about six months a young family wife uh, husband and wife and they have two kids so what we'll do with them is just kind of mentor them over the next six months and and hopefully prayerfully and ask the Lord to open their eyes to see to see this vision to see who they who they truly truly are in Christ yeah. and um, and we'll see what the Lord does yeah. so family by family you start with the children and if you can go from your family to your uh, extended family, your aunties and uh, uncles, and um, and see who the Lord, you know, opens their eyes and see see what He does. There's no weapon in God's arsenal that's more powerful than a Christian family in their home. And that's I believe that we talk about the the ministry of hospitality. Um, you don't know a man until you've had coffee in his kitchen. And that is the most that is the most underrated, uh, overlooked weapon, tool of dominion that we have is is a, is a truly distinctive Christian family, and and and, and 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 that's where you find that's where you learn liberty because that's government. That's right. That is one of our greatest testimony, I think, for my wife and I, is most of our family members say we look up to you guys or what the Lord is doing. In your marriage, we've been married now almost 11 years. The 20th of this month, we'll be married 11 years, and I think we have the longest, except for my mom and dad. They've been married for about 20 years, 
But other than, other than my mom and dad, um, as far as my generation is concerned, we have the only marriage that's that's lasted this long. Yes. But and, and that is a testimony. And so family members come and talk to you and ask for advice, which gives us opportunity to talk about um, Christian reconstruction and, and true freedom, what it really is in Christ, mm -hmm. and, how, and how to live for them, for Him, at home, just at home. Gabe, you also bring in some people and let them, and you bring them into your house and uh, take them in. I mean, I haven't talked to you about this, but maybe you can share that now. I mean, I know you have a few people that live with you, right? Uh, yeah, off and on, you know, there's been people throughout the years that have come and uh, gone, and you know, it's I have a four-bedroom house, and right now it's just me and my wife, so um, it's one of those things where I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily say everyone's obligated to do it, but my take is, you know, let the Lord uh, bless me with the room and, and I have the use of it and, and don't uh, use that, then it's uh, quite selfish. When I first bought the house, I wasn't married. You know, I, I got four bedrooms so I can rent more rooms out with my buddies. And that was a bad move because most of them end up don't paying you and then they eat all your food, right? But, um, you know, <clears throat> there's been people throughout the years that have definitely taken advantage. And I would just say, you know, don't, if you're going to help somebody, um, and expect it to be all good and for them to be appreciative and all that, then you're going to be disappointed. So don't do it for those reasons. You got to do it to glorify God. So there's definitely been people that have used and abused, no doubt. But there's been people, um, you know, that praise God, I could say that was truly helpful to them. You know, like I met, it's probably been 10 years now, close to that, maybe eight, nine. But um, I met a guy at a gas station, just asking for money, he's sleeping in the truck with his wife and kids. So, um, ended up letting him stay at my house. They were, they were, uh, had, had kids together, they weren't married, they wanted to get married, but it's kind of like, they don't have a house, they don't have money, they don't have anything. Um, and uh, I said, well, why don't we marry you guys right here, you know? And they both, she came from a Mormon background, but he, he kind of was raised in the faith and just kind of found some hard times and, and they were willing to kind of uh, uh, heed what I had to say so I, I didn't see any reason not to marry him you know um, and so for him you know I, he, he used to be a carpet installer and I needed carpet and I said, hey man I'll let you stay here help me put in some carpet and he did it you know will, willingly and so it worked out for me in the long haul uh, still have that carpet today <laughs> is, he still, is he still around you know he ended up moving to New Jersey and it, but it was one of those things within a year man he was on his feet because he had job skills. It was just one of those things where, you know, you hit that rut where you lose a job or lose a car, and, and, and then you got no car to get to work. And, and so kind of, you know, having a place, you had even the ability to kind of make some money, uh, get working, get back on his feet. And, and yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's out there and seeing from Facebook uh, his daughters want a few beauty pageants. and uh, Is he walking with the Lord? Uh, you know, as far as I know, as far as I know, I uh, he, he's not a big Facebooker. His wife is, so it's been a few years since I've talked to him. Um, but you know, those were those were one of those opportunities where you know you, you had an opportunity to actually better someone's life. You know, and so and so I'm thankful for that. And it, like I said, you know, for every one of those, you're gonna have nine other people that are gonna come stay and 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 just kind of find themselves back in a in a rut. But um, you know, I think you just got to do what, what God calls it to do. And, and sometimes, you know, it's in between that. You know, it's not a miraculous story, but you, you're you giving someone an opportunity to to get on their feet. And I think if you 
do it wisely, you can kind of, if you push them in the right direction, that could be beneficial for them, you know. Gabe, put a spotlight on you a little bit because this is, after all, is my program. Yeah. I put a spotlight on you a little bit. Sure. Uh, a lot of the men I've talked to, people like Joe Moorcraft and, and Trahella and, and, and Kaiser and others, uh, Campbell, uh, all have not a, great, a lot good to say about the seminary culture. Mm-hmm. In other words, they believe that, that there's a lot that's bad that's inculcated, yeah. bad habits, a bad philosophy of ministry. You are a pastor, but you did not come up through the classical seminary system. Correct. Um, I'm curious, when you use the term, when you're introducing yourself, whether you say I'm a pastor of this and such and such a church in American culture like MD right a doctor or you know a law enforcement would you do you say that 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 the the identification of you as a recognized pastor ordained had hands laid on you others obviously recognized your gifts your calling does that does that afford you a certain leverage? Does that? It, I, I'm not saying that you're doing it uh, intentionally, but I'm saying, does it afford? Does it give you any clout? Does it give you any leverage in a situation? And or would you say that if you do something, and we're talking about leadership earlier, we're talking about the lack of leadership mm-hmm. in in the American church. The fact that we we just don't need men to connect to each scripture and put together a good sermon, or baptize babies, or if that's your flavor mm-hmm. are, are are bury people marry people but we need they need to be perceived as leaders mm-hmm. a joshua uh, type leader uh when you do something let's say you were out in front of an abortion mill or you were speaking up on a a, a societal issue the very does the fact that you are identified as a pastor does that do you perceive that that means more to people that's a great question um, I think 10 years ago, 20 years ago for sure, without a doubt, I would say yes. I think that's generally losing value. Even today in uh, writing um, letters for college or for work, uh, it used to be, you know, if you got a letter from a pastor, that was a good character witness. Today they don't, they won't even accept that. They want a teacher or a college professor, a counselor. Uh, so I think the... As the culture becomes more secularized, there's less uh, clout, if you will, for, for pastors. In your role as an educator, did you have to be brought in for special counseling when they found out that you were a pastor of a Christian congregation? Uh, no, as far as you mean the school district? Right. Uh, you refer to that because I'm a substitute also in the school district. No, that, that they could care less. They, they still believe. Uh, I, I would, From my stance, as Jason pointed out earlier, I think they are, they're still under... The myth of neutrality, right? So they, so they kind of hold this view of, hey, that's cool, man. You know, as long as you're not uh, forcing it on the kids, like, you know. And in fact, they, generally speaking, I think most of them say, hey, that's good. We need, they, we, we need people who uh, uh, instill good values in the kids and things like that. So I think for the average person in, we'll say, you know, Southern California where we're at, they see Christianity as something that teaches you good morals, to love people, to be kind. So maybe in Northern California or Berkeley or even maybe places in L.A., they might have a very antithetical view towards 
towards the pastor or even towards Christianity. But I think generally out here in the Inland Empire, outside the big city, I wouldn't say people are hostile towards Christianity in the sense of what they think it is, which is just to do good and be moral. And that's why they would see us all as hypocrites because we're trying to force biblical law upon people. And it's like, hey, well, Jesus just calls you to love. Don't you even know your own Bible? You know, and so they just don't get it. But for the most part, I I wouldn't say there's a huge opposition. I haven't felt a huge opposition to myself. Um, But at the same way, I don't, I, I haven't necessarily felt that uh, what I say as a pastor necessarily means more. So at the end of the day, I, I don't know. I guess it depends where you're at. I think it might be different where you're at in the South, on the well, East I'm Coast. Thinking or... of, I'm thinking of uh, George Grant, who has sort of more of the parish model. I think, uh, not to speak for Pastor Grant, who, who obviously has a lot of different hats he wears, scholar and lecturer and, and whatnot, but where he has more of a parish model where he perceives himself as not only the pastor of his congregation, but the pastor of a locale. Mm-hmm. And so they seek to reach out into the, to the neighborhood and to uh, extend themselves and, and address, try to address the spiritual and the felt needs of the people around the congregation and and it seemed and, it, and the reason I ask that is that that's a it seems like that's a very natural. I mean, sometimes you think bus ministries and visitation, which are yeah. parts of, of American Christian culture, that seems a little bit wooden yeah. and, and artificial. But if you have a congregation that meets in a zip code, yeah. and you say we have a, a group of people that meet in this area, and 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 so we want to get to know the people in our area and, and find out. You know what prayer items you have that we can yeah, yeah. pray for, and what what needs you have. That if there's any way that we can be of service to you, so that you're really extending yourself to a neighborhood, and and that in that respect, that is a means of beginning to engage in activity that approximates taking dominion. Yeah, and in, in that regard, I would agree. At the I guess at the local level or at the the average person that's coming to your church or just the average person that's walking by your church to know you're the pastor, yeah, there probably would be a little more respect or regard. So I guess if that's where you're going with the question, I, I was thinking more so with the, at, you know, how the hierarchy of society sees you, I would say yeah, no. Well, but, well, but, yeah, the local level, I think the parish model is what we need to get back to, you know, and then we really try to go in and change communities. Well, and, you know, it's easy to really say, you know, big picture, you know, our goal is to extend the kingdom of Christ. Well, right. the, the question is, is, okay, what does that look like on a local, local right. level? And as you, as as uh, the shepherd whom God has designated, has appointed to, to be steering this ship, so to speak, uh, you know, what sort of, you know, we talked about earlier about affecting change on the national level. Let's get back down to the very, you know, obviously, Gilbert talked about family government and, Talk about ecclesiastical government mm-hmm. as being a form of local government. That do you have any interaction with civil authorities? Do you have any uh, relationship that you've or bridges that you've attempted to build with other clergymen mm-hmm. and other uh, uh, ecclesial body ecclesiastical bodies in the immediate area? Yeah, yeah, we have. And I, Jason rebuked me for this one the other day. I hosted a, a school board 
I, I moderated a debate for people running for school board, you know, and uh, and we never fully got to even finish that conversation. And and it wasn't that I necessarily want to promote, you know, se uh, secular education, but uh, when I was approached by those at the school to moderate it, um, I saw it as an opportunity for me to build relationships with some of those people in positions um, to get dialogue going, some of which are Christian. And so, you know, if, if I could have it within my power to obviously, uh, uh, you know, remove that system in place, I, I would definitely do so. There's definitely better systems out there. But uh, I guess it, to me it first starts with getting in the bad systems we have, getting people into positions that begin to uh, tear it down and, and, and reconstruct it, I guess, for lack of a better word. But, you know, even at local levels, uh, Jason and I uh, had a conversation with the mayor. I hosted a, uh, a thing for the a guy running for mayor. He was a current mayor, and he was running for re-election. We held a thing in my house, a Q&A session. Jason kind of hit him on some of the issues of abortion and what can we do to, to uh, you know, stand up as a city against those things. So I think uh, we definitely want to do that, not just with the mayor, the school board, but, um, you know, uh, on every level. And I guess that's something that probably the last few years I've tried to focus on more, not necessarily even from from a theological perspective or from Jason, even though it's kind of time-wise, it's kind of merged together quite nicely. But there was a project they were trying to bring into the city, our local city, a big building project that... Uh, I, I was kind of against it, and as I started to educate myself with it, I started to be swayed for it. But in meeting with certain builders and developers and politicians, you start, and even people that are outside the camp, you start to hear different perspectives. And it, all it began to show me was how much and how important uh, the local stuff is, whether you agree or disagree with these projects or whatever, right? But the issue is these are things that are going to affect us directly for the next 25 years. And yet, you know, us casting a vote for Trump or Hillary in California was totally irrelevant, right? She won by 2 million votes or whatever it is. And so that's what we're all going to put bumper stickers out there or protest or even if we say, you know, Gary Johnson or none of them. At the end of the day, that impact's so small to, hey, who, you know, who are we getting into not only these local positions, but uh, what, what things are we doing um, within our own communities that are going to reach out to... Uh, maybe a local or a countywide thing and then a statewide thing. Um, and then to me, eventually, I would like to see a federal thing. Um, and, and that's where I'm not sure if, if uh, from, and I, I liked your answer earlier, Jason, but it seems to me that a lot of the guys, uh, or some of the guys, I don't, I don't say a lot, some of the guys within the Reconstructionist movement um, would disagree with that and say, you know what, it's, it's, there's nothing we could do to repair what's broken it has to all collapse and even within some of the reformed libertarian movements right like you have this uh, Keynesian system that's doomed to collapse economically so don't try to fix it don't try to put in better politicians and, and it almost goes down a dispensational route which is a kind of like hands up I, nothing I could do about it so I don't know well, there's if, a difference between I mean as post-millennialists you know I have no doubt that overall the future is as bright as the promises of God that mm -hmm. Christ will extend his kingdom and and, I, and one of the things I appreciate about the earlier aforementioned Kevin, Craig, is that in his one address, he talks about, you know, if you compared the world in Amos or Isaiah's time, when the, you, the life expectancy was 30 years old, 
and most people died from violence, mm-hmm. from wars and famine and pestilence. Today we live in you know, average life expectancy, you know, in the eight, approaching the 80s, and most people die mm-hmm. of natural causes. Or, and they would say that we they have re, they've see, they've re, we have a realized eschatology. In other words, right. they would say compared to what they had, you know, look at our, our the tools of dominion that we have. Look at the right. fact that. You know, comparatively, I mean, yes, it's we see the glass half empty. They see the glass half full. Right. I, I believe that, yeah, the, 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 the world will, you know, the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. That doesn't mean that America will still be a part of the world system as it's present. I always say mm-hmm. as it's presently constituted. Right. So there will be. But the thing is, is that just in the same way we can't perceive of ourselves. We can't imagine a world where we're not in it. Right. Because all we know is life. We, I mean, yes, we, we have a hope of, of, of eternal life and being with the Lord, you know, at the moment after of death. But we really, when it comes right down to it, we cannot get our brain around life without us in it. Right. And I think at some level we cannot, we can't, I, 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 I've grown pretty comfortable with the idea of a world without the United States superpower, right. superpower right. system, statist right. government as it's constituted now, there'll be people, right? And there'll be locals or or some sort of government arrangement. But it, will it be like it is today? And I'm not ready to go to the full archist, anarchist type route. But 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 I would say this about about reconstructionists in general: as as we like our pastors, activists. Right. We like activist pastors. That's one of the uh, distinctions I've seen. I'm newly reformed a couple of years, maybe. So I came from the black church, um, four years now, yeah. And that's one thing that I I saw in the hood with pastors that, um, and dispensationalist guys, they're, they're activists um, and they're involved in their church and, and in government. Um, when I came out here to uh, the Inland Empire, uh, we treat pastors a little different out here, you know. Everyone call them by their first name. Where I come from, a pastor is—he's always your pastor. He's always pastor, pastor Gabe, or, um, and so he's looked, he's looked at with with esteem, and with with reverence. Um, at least with this small view that I have of the Reformed Church, it's, it seems as if we. Um, we don't expect more from our pastors. It's just he just goes up to preach on Sunday and that's it. Um, but in the hood, man, we when we had some issues with with uh, with the cops, our pastor came with us, and we and he took my wife and I to the police station to stand by our side to talk to the local government about what's going on. And he identified himself. Well, yeah, I'm their pastor. I'm here to, to help them. And so he was very involved in what's going on in our lives in every area of our lives mm-hmm. you know so it's just it's just a little bit different out here and so that's one thing I've seen with the differences between um, the reformed church or, or maybe the difference between a black church and a I guess a quote white church if I can put it that you way. you bring up a good point of and this is largely what I'm thinking about like I said this is this is thoughts off the cuff and I wonder what, what the fully correct answer is but it seems as though we've lost a little bit from what I'm hearing and taking in, the the notion that we're here to help and make things better, 
in a sense, the same way the dispensationalists are kind of just waiting and watching the world burn. Uh, definitely not all or most, but I, I kind of sometimes hear those overtones or have heard them in the past, even with, uh, you know, even when Y2K was going down in the early 2000s, it was kind of like, this has to be the end because this is what is needed for, you know, kind of the, the final, uh, you know, kingdom of God to be finalized. And so, so rather than trying to help and being a part of, like you said, taking your wife down to the police station, we're just saying, hey, this system's so corrupt, we, we can't help it. Um, and, and we kind of, not willfully, but kind of become less relevant or less uh, of an influence on the world because we've kind of, uh, you know, not to, not to compare us in the light of this person, but, you know, almost in like a, a Fred Phelps type of way where he, he's say, hey, it's too late to repent. The USA is doomed. There's nothing we can do. And, and you know, obviously he was really hated and there's many reasons why. But um, I, I wonder if sometimes we're not at least perceived with that tone, whether that's a valid perception or not. Sometimes I think people might perceive us as, as pessimists. Like you were saying, Bill, maybe with a glass half empty kind of view. And then uh, uh, don't take those steps to say, hey, I'm going to take Gilbert and his wife to the police station and, and, and advocate because I'm going to say, hey, the police are these corrupt uh, uh, rabid dogs out there that just want to shoot us so I'm not going to even talk to these guys and you shouldn't either. And, uh, and like I said, I, I don't think that's the majority view, but I, I think sometimes... You know, some people in cage stage can come off that way. So I guess what, what would your guys' response to be? How, how much influence, um, how much are we here to help and how much are we here to, um, I guess you would say, deconstruct? Because sometimes I hear a lot of deconstructing notions more than reconstructing notions. I think it goes hand in hand. Okay. And, and we have to be uh, discerning in when we need to reconstruct and when we need to deconstruct. Mm-hmm. When we, need to, we need to be wise and understanding, well, this area of life, uh, is beyond repair, and we just gotta let God's judgment be take its toll, and, and then be ready to construct again. So but like the public schools, you would say, just give it over and abolish the public schools. Right, right, right below uh, abolishing abortion, in my in my mm-hmm. view, is abolishing the public school system because that's where where we're at today is mm-hmm. because of the public schools. I believe they've they've been indoctrinating our children for generations. And the but men who designed it. Knew that, exactly. and right. told us that. But even if you take successful. it over and run it in a Christian yeah. way, you'd yeah. still be against it because of the tax-based well, system. No, well, yeah, if, if they're gonna if they're gonna have theft as part of it, then yeah, I'd be against it. But, but there's nothing even there's nothing even <clears throat> logical about parents sending their most precious mm-hmm. their little ones to absolute strangers, right. even if they were teaching the Christian religion in right. that school. Why would you want a stranger to, to be teaching them? I could see. Christian schools in a cooperative on a very local congregational level. And that's what I was telling you about, uh, Gabe, that we need to start that at our church. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of educators there, a lot of which are working for the public school system. Mm -hmm. We need to garner those gifts that they've been given by God to teach and create a co-op. By the way, E. Roy Moore, who's the head of Exodus Mandate, Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. I interviewed on the War Room, spoke to that exact situation where there was a a congregation, a fairly large, it was the largest, it was the largest congregation in that county, and the pastor became convicted of the, uh, uh, of, and I've, I've said that the, uh, that public education is unfixable precisely because it's unbiblical. Right. But he mentioned how a, a pastor called the educators in their congregation, uh, didn't call them on the carpet, but he exhorted them, and 
a good many of them resigned from the public education system and then brought their skills and their their and their talents and created a Christian school which is still going to this day. And that was right. back you know, 20 years ago. And we know it's going to be something that causes people uh, monetary loss because they're getting paid double double. You know what they would be getting paid in a co-op or anything like that. But at the same time, we're called to lay our lives down for Christ. Right. And if we're Christians and we, we believe that, that Christ has said, if you love me, you obey my commandments, well, that's an easy decision. Yeah, right, exactly. And, and we talked earlier about uh, 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 abolition of human abortion, and, and I, I don't see any, I don't see any um, threat. I don't see any problem on the horizon that is larger than the wrath of God concerning abortion and the the guilt that's attached to it. But, and I, I made a comment today. What Christians are looking for in their pastors are leaders, not cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. The difference between a leader and a cheerleader is a, leader, a cheerleader says, go, 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 go. And a leader says, let's go. Amen. Amen. Come on. Yep. And whatever you, so my question is, is, you know, whatever you have a fire in your belly as a pastor, and we're not picking on you, but, but we sort of got you in the crossfire here. Um, whatever you have a passion in your belly for, uh, I, I would expect you, if it's a legitimate, valid passion, I would expect you to try to infect me with it. Mm-hmm. And, and and so whether, it, 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 there are other issues besides abortion. I don't think there's any more important, more pressing mm-hmm. One that calls our, the the legitimacy of, of of our of our faith into question, quite like abortion does. But whatever you have a passion about, uh, I, I think that to be a pastor means that you've got that you're on a mission to infect your congregation with your vision. Without vision, the people perish. And 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 what we don't need, I mean, we I can get good exegesis from online commentaries. Right. I don't need a guy standing in front of the room to exegete scripture for me. Well, what people are looking for is a leader, and, and it's like, you know, um, where the where the where the bugle is, uh, you know, sounds an un, uh, an uncertain sound. You know, people don't they don't attack. You know, you, you you've got to have someone coordinating and leading, and people are you know, so. Yeah, and I, and I would agree with you guys, and I that's one of the reasons I, I appreciate Jason. You know, he'll. Bring uh, challenging conviction. Now, are you and, members? Are, have you? I'm not a formal member of the church. We, you know, Gilbert and I, we just came out of a church plant where we were both serving as elders, and uh, immediately when that, when we ended up closing doors there. And what do you gave, think of this guy? So we went over there. What do you think of this guy? Are 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 other elders in, and how many elders do you have presently? Well, I, I think he's a great guy, and to answer your question, we right now there's we don't even have membership or official ordained elders other than myself and the two pastors who are ordained through a uh, a organized church in our denomination we're considered a church plant if you will the denomination is it's the Christian Reformed Church so we church plants kind of don't have to have certain you know they don't have to have elders and deacons because they're under a a larger church I I guess I wasn't asked going where do you have your eye on him for an elder but my question is is that a guy you know not blowing smoke up yeah Jason's rear but a lot of people, a lot of pastors, would be intimidated by a guy like Jason. Sure, sure, they would, they would, and I think that um, you know, as we, 
two parts. I would say, you know, as we've moved towards formalizing our church, which we definitely could do at this point with 100 people or so, you know, like Jason has been a guy that one of the other pastors have already said, hey, man, like we got to bring this guy in as a deacon. You know, he's really um, strong. But, you know, for me, I, I'm encouraged by him because I, I want people to, to push me in that right direction. As you said, I, I think a lot of people are intimidated because they're like, hey, I went to seminary. I put in the time. And they insulate I themselves. I studied the Hebrew and the Greek. They insulate the themselves. They do. And, and, but it's an attack to, I think, their the time they've put in and they don't want to be challenged. This isn't something I ever even wanted to do. So to me, I I, I felt like uh, I, I don't see a challenge by it because it was just I'm serving in ministry kind of like Jason was, just out there on the front lines doing. And it was something that people kind of said, hey, you know, we want you to to do this. And we were just doing Bible studies like, hey, you should pastor. And I'm like, I, well, there's no way I'd be able to preach for 30 minutes. And now everybody's saying, hey, stop, it's 30 minutes, right? But the, <laughs> the, the idea is that, you know, I think Jason and people like him are great to have because iron sharpens iron, you know, and... Uh, I think, for me, that's been one of the beneficial things. Well, whether whether Jay, I would just this is a personal word of exhortation. Whether Jason ever is an elder in your congregation, whether he ever holds any office at all, uh, I would submit to you, man to man, in front of a million listeners. We're not really that big yet, <laughs> but that Jason is a good man to have as your friend. Correct. Whether he's ever an officer in the in the CRC. Yeah. He's a good friend to have, Definitely. you know, um, and, and that's, uh, and, and listen, uh, at the end of the day, nobody really cares whether you're OPC, CREC, CRC, PCA, Hanover, it doesn't really matter. But if there was a, if there was a, a strong, uh, Christ-centered, kingdom-driven ministry in the Riverside, California area, mm-hmm. uh, you build it, they will come. Yeah, we always have questions of, of people looking for, they call it, quote, recon congregations. Yeah, and I know Bill doesn't like that. that. Yeah, yeah. I don't either because we're Christians. Right. And we should all be that way. But their hunger is for an active church. They're looking for a magnet. Yeah, for, for a church that has leaders that are active, mm-hmm. not just cheerleaders, like... Uh, Bill was saying, and, and not just and not just orthodoxy, not just people who orthodoxy, who, can, who yeah, exactly, not just who cross their t's and dot their i's properly, or who subscribe to the proper catechism, or are cons, or, you know, but people who will, who who will lead, who who who's 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 whose doctrine informs their behavior and their right. and their and their civic behavior, and they're not intimidated by by the congregants. Because right. we're, it's a priesthood of all believers. Correct. And you're there to equip them. And the problem is that there's so many times that there's congregations that the elders want to give only so much because they're intimidated. Right. What if that person outsho- out, outshines me? It shouldn't yeah. be like that. Unfortunately, it is. But I think that's, if we get back to that biblical pattern, it's something I hugely believe in of, of just allowing people serve where they're gifted. And so I, I, not to disagree with you at all, Bill, I think we should be on the front lines leading that charge and... I think even the, the some of that Greek language speaks of that in, in headship and leadership. You know, it speaks of the uh, uh, when we when we talk about a male headship, it, it'd be uh, the language of one who leads the charge in, in the battle. You know, and so we think of it in our culture today as a man telling woman, "Make me breakfast," right, or, or command because this is our generals lead right from a from a room and they make decisions and they send out and it's command type of thing and that's how we lead. But in a biblical pattern, that that headship pattern, it's him leading the charge, and if you're leading the charge, you're not taking other people into a, into a situation where you're going to 
be bad because you're going to go down There's first. The difference between a sergeant major and a master gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps. Right. One is a field enlisted. And you're going to trust that guy a lot more. The <laughs> and the other one's, like you said, in, a, in an office, like a pogue. Right. Writing letters. So we need more field generals. Right. One of the things I told, uh, you know, and, and one of the reasons why there is a, a, and I think legitimately so, a criticism of, of the um, seminary system is that a lot of guys, a lot of men, you know, they, they won't ever say this, but it's like I've been through X number of years of education. I've suffered through Hebrew. I've learned Greek. I do this. I do. I've got a, I've invested, you know, so many years of my life and they don't want to give up the microphone. Right. When the opportunity is to speak, you know, and I I mentioned to, you know, an elder statesman that that people all over the country, whether you agree with them or not, respect, and that's Joe Moorcraft. And Joe Moorcraft is is a a brilliant man, is a good man. But I mentioned when I saw him, and in his health, with age, his health will lag some. And I, I mentioned him, I said, you know, Pastor Moorcraft, I said, your people love you, and they hang on every word. My question for you is, what will become of them when you're no longer here? No, that's a valid question. I said, you know, because my experience from corporate America is that the most effective manager is the one who is irrelevant. So the, your, the goal is not for you to do the work of 10 people. It's to train 10 people to do the work. Yeah. And, 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 I, and that seems to me, I mean, the shortcoming of Christian Reconstruction is not that we don't read books. Heavens knows we read books. Mm-hmm. The question is, is how many of us are actually making disciples? How many of us are actually reproducing? How many of us are actually, you know, uh, sharing our faith, leading people to Christ, in, in administering spiritual pediatrics, and making them reproducing Christians? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that's... That's the main thing. Ultimately, that's the bottom line. You know, we, you, there's, we have people who, who's, whose job and are gifted at painting big murals right. and explaining to us what the kingdom of God will look like. But at the end of the day, it's the, it's the, it's the, the bricklayer and the truck driver and, the, the, and, and the, the, the ordinary you know, homemaker, the average guy, Sharing his faith with his neighbor, or the guy across the fence, the guy he works with, the guy at work, the guy he runs into at Chick Fil A or whatever, or In and Out Burger here in California. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, much better. Um, yeah. And 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 being you know life on life, and and I, I don't know where I'm going with all this except to say that you being a pastor, that seems to be you know, uh, it, it's really a blessing to have you here. Thank and you. and we hope. At the very least, from you just being able to share uh, some good beverage and smoke with us and some fellowship, that that you realize that we don't care who leads, just as long as somebody does. Right, right. And 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 uh, and uh, so you you would you, a lot of guys avoid the term reconstruction. So you you don't. You know what I I I was going to mention is you're talking, and I've t- shared this with Jason a lot of times of. The negative connotations I had of theonomy, reconstructionism, all those things, um, based off of people's misnomers and what they write against it, and as I got to understand it, I said, why even call it reconstruction? Why not just call it reformed theology? Because that's ultimately what it is. Like all these other... Biblical Christianity. He brought up uh, R2K, which is, you know, radical two-kingdom theology. That's not a reformed view. That's more of a Lutheran view, and and not even a true Lutheran view, I'd argue, but uh, so I would say... you know, really, if you understand uh, 
Reformed theology, you were just talking about the bricklayer, the truck driver. I mean, that's what the Reformation was trying to bring about, this tearing down this false dichotomy between kind of the laity and the clergy, that only those that served in kind of uh, official positions of the church were doing holy work and everyone else mm -hmm. was doing mundane or, you know, the sacred versus the secular dichotomy, whereas right. in a Christian worldview, all work is sacred, all acts are sacred, all things are done for the glory of God. And right. so if we can instill that in our people... I mean, we win. And unfortunately, I think much of the terminology uh, has clouded, you know, much of, of the progress um, just because there's, you know, people that don't understand it. Just just like Calvinism or Reformed theology, there are people that slander it and don't understand it um, and hold, hold the movement back from really just expressing what we mean by the doctrines of grace or by Reformed theology, and that is... Christianity, the gospel, right? You know, that's it's simply the proper understanding of um, a full orb the gospel, a full orb yeah, gospel, yeah. right? You know, this this reformed world and life view, and so because people will say, well, just stick to the gospel. But the question that you said, what is what is the true gospel? Right. Is it just that Jesus loves you and, and died for your sins, or is there more to it, right? And so, and not only that, is is the love of God and, and balancing that with the wrath of God. And uh, well, Calvin hung everything on the sovereignty of God. Right, right, and so. And the good news is, is that God is in control. Mm -hmm. We're not and, hurtling and people through. People will say We're that. not hurtling through space at tens of thousand miles per hour, and nobody's at the wheel. God is in control. And every Christian will. Well, not every that, Christian. That but sounds many, like a, it's bumper sticker theology. Yeah, but, many people admit that, but then when you when you really press it to comprehensive, logical outworking of that, right, the lordship and, of Jesus Christ, and God being the ultimate authority and one in control, and that's what we're talking about when we talk about Reformed theology, not only being in control, but calling his people and ordaining for his people to do good works, right. as the scripture says. Yeah, probably ought to clar hands. clarify, the triune God is in control. Amen. Correct, right, right. right. Gilbert, uh, as far as Reformed theology and, and the hood and where, where you come from, you, it, it's hard to find a good black congregation that is teaching Reformed theology. Why, why do you think that is? Well, if if parents are not teaching their kids and homeschooling their children, then they're they're giving their their kids up to the government. Then they wouldn't live it out in the world. So, I think since we've given up given our kids over to the state, we've also given given our our influence. And what I think what, what that's done in generations and generations is it's almost kind of made us pacifists. We're, we're, just, we're soft Christians. Um, I think it starts in, in, at home school. I think it starts at home. And, and I, that's why I keep pressing that point. Bill, you were talking earlier about a pastor influencing his congregation. That happens at home. My, my son is my son is me. My children, they're me. They're, they are their mother. Because th there are things that they learn at home, being homeschooled, that they wouldn't learn if they were in a, in a government school. So that they have my, my heartbeat. They know my love for the Lord. Uh, I have the same love for the Lord, similar to, as my father, because I spent so much time with him as a general contractor. And one thing my father did was as a general contractor, he hired a lot of ex-cons, and he would take those guys, train them up, and have them start their own business, you know, um, but one of the reasons why it's not, I, I, one of the reasons I think it's not transitioning in, in the hood or 
um, th there is some, uh, I don't know. It's... Well, well, you know what, brother? You, you, I've talked to you before about this, that I understand the mindset. And, right. and I see that if you come to somebody and, and talk about Jesus loves you and, and all you got to do is accept Jesus in your heart, it's nothing. Because that's not the, that's not the full gospel. Mm -hmm. The full gospel reconstructs a man. Right. And, 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 and regenerates that man and makes him come, be built up to do good works, right? So that's what I'm saying. The hood is ripe for reconstruction because you know who's, you know who's stepping into that void right now? Is the black Hebrew movement yes. or, or the black Muslim movement. Right. I'm reading a book, Soul on Fire, by uh, Eldridge Cleaver, one of, the, one of the guys that was a, an original Black Panther. And the void was filled with a full-orbed view of life. And, and, and evangelical Christianity doesn't give that because they, they give you that, that mindset of escapism mm -hmm. where a true man wants to take dominion. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of black men, like you're saying, are going to uh, the Hebrew Israelites and the black Muslims because they, they give them an identity of um, this is what a man is supposed to be. You know, he, he stands up for his family. He's willing to fight and die for his family. Um, and the Christian church our brothers in the Lord as, as a whole, uh, we're, we're not doing that. And it, it, it just seems as if it's so hard to bridge this gap. And I've been trying to figure out how to do it, praying about it. And I, I don't have the answer for it, but it is something that I'm, well, I'm me, pursuing. Let me, pursue, let, me, let me see if I can pose a question a little bit differently. Aside from the fact that you believe it's biblical, yes. what aspect of Christian Reconstruction in particular appeals to you as a man well clearly the family clearly a man leading his family and training them up training his children up to uh to go out and, and live for the lord and and um and just and just being christ followers if i could put it that way um here here in their neighborhoods so the, the family is very important to me it's, it's something that it's 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 my heartbeat, and so it's it's something. But the that but 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 the centrality of the family is not unique to Christian Reconstructionists. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier about homeschooling and the fact how what an what an integral part that's played. You know, I've had people, you know, probably in the Facebook conversations, people say, "We're going to find a church," well, you know, and, and I'd say, "Look for homeschoolers," because mm -hmm. in general, if people have have extricated themselves from this, the government system and have incurred the hardship and the additional expense and the changes in priorities that are involved in homeschooling, that's probably pretty, a pretty good indication that they've got some other things right, too. Mm -hmm. Even if even if theologically they're not self-aware, they're not necessarily aware of, hey, okay, they may not have all the points, you know, presuppositional apologetics and covenantal theology. They may not even be able to tell you what, but if they're, if they're doing the heavy lifting of, uh, and they're bearing the responsibility of educating their own children, they probably are on the right track. They're, you know, they're at least listening to God in that respect. And, that's, and I'd say, if you can't, if for, for, if for lack of any other hallmark, if you can find a, a church that is uh, friendly and sympathetic and supportive of homeschooling families, that's probably... A pretty good place to be. And it's probably something's hard to find in the hood, so to speak, as you put it. But uh, and and, 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 and single, 
I was just well, going to say, Gilbert, I've let preach it at my church before and back to the issue of just allowing people to serve where they're gifted. I think the big part of it is um, not just as pastors, but as church leaders in any respect, allowing those people who are gifted in a certain way to take a ministry and run with it, not thinking you have to do it all or the leadership has to make every yeah. decision, letting people like Gilbert get in there and do what they do best. And I think as, as they do that and we allow people in L.A. and everywhere else to do that, I think we're going to see an impact. You know, one of the one of the healthiest congregations I've ever visited. Uh, it, 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 I, I, although they don't, I, when I the very first thing I noticed about them is that in their the very first time I ever visited them, they must have had a dozen or more individual families, heads of households, single men who would are, are, are who were engaged, but they had a they had an operating philosophy that every man was a potential elder yes. mm. and they were giving and they believed in the, they weren't just paying lip service to the priest of every believer and the funny thing is you go to this congregation and you might not hear the the head pastor you know the teaching he, he you may not ever hear from him for three or four weeks mm-hmm. he's you know, in other words it's like the analogy and I, I don't I hate to bore my war room listeners with stuff they've heard me regurgitate he just warmed over from previous podcasts but I said no parent ever taught their children to drive a car by sitting behind the steering wheel, right? You've got to let other people building them up. You've got right. to let other people try their own hand and fail and run over some curbs, or they're never going to learn how to do it. Yep. And that's that's our and that's. So, Bill, what do you yeah. think? Do you think that is, that distinction between the laity that that's a problem, isn't it? Again, I've asked a lot of guys. You know, where do you think that the reformers didn't go far enough? And they will tell me, oh, "Doctor, the Holy Spirit are the priesthood of the, the believers." Amen. The priests of the believers. That was supposedly a big, a big, you know, banner, big flag, a big stamp on the Reformation. But today we only pay lip service to it. That's and the right. seminary system predominantly is responsible for that. Yes. Guys say, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't let all this good education I got go to waste and let, and, and let this pipe fitter right. preach. Or, or an abolitionist. And, and we see our brothers who are, in, you know, fellow abolitionists are, are living out that great commission. You know, and they are—they are enacting the, the the priesthood of all believers. Well, you know, what, what, in the sake of full full disclosure, what I've basically have said—not that I speak for a reconstruction by any stretch—but uh, I say that if you're looking for a, syn- a synonym for Christian reconstruction, I would say a doer. Mm-hmm. And by the same token, mm-hmm. that to me is what's most compelling. I, I would say that you know, Rush Dooney looked at the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. As yes. Reconstructionists, right. even though they didn't share his theology in many respects, right. but they were doers. They were doers of the word, and and I look at Reconstruction. I look at Abolitionists today, and I oftentimes, and I'll go on record saying this once again, and we'll probably get cheers from some of the Abolitionists. But I, I look at them as the proto Reformers. If there is to be revival and reformation in the body of Christ today, in in in, in the near term future of America. The abolitionists will be the one that spark it. They are the Lollards and the Hussites and the Waldensians of the church in America today. And there will, and I would even submit that they're going to have to ratchet it up somewhat. You know, one of the things that made that that uh, that captured the attention and the imagination and filled the hearts and stirred uh, the hearts of Americans so that they participated in and hazarded. Arrest back in the days of Operation Rescue is that the the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and when you see people willing to suffer for their faith, mm. that 
fires your heart with something that wasn't there before. And if there's any if there's any weakness in the abolitionist movement right now, is that it's still too safe. Yes, there are confrontations between angry parents and angry death scorts and angry and and and, oh, brother, and, and status cops. Let's step let's step over the line right now. We know that Romans thirteen talks about the revenger of wrath, and that's given to the civil government. But when that civil government is not being the revenger of wrath, and we're talking about the doctrine of interposition, and we're tra- talking about interposing for those who are downtrodden, who are being taken to the slaughter, when, and and I hesitate to even bring this up because this, this is a public podcast, but when is it okay to take the matters into our hands? Not, 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 as, not as people that are vigilantes, but as those who are standing up for justice and mercy and, and when do we you know, you know where I'm getting at well you know what's interesting and, and, and uh, uh, my, my, my buddy um, Joseph Foreman former national director of Operation Rescue and co-founder of Missionaries of the Unborn with, with uh, Matt Trujillo speaks to this I encourage you to get his book uh, Shattering the Darkness but uh, yeah we all no, nobody wants to uh, endorse violence and I'm certainly not going to endorse it tonight as I read some of Pierre Verre's writings, I was really convicted because it was very apparent that, unlike, don't mistake the, the history of the Crusades for the history of the Reformation. Now, Zwingli was a, was a fighter, and the Huguenots ultimately were forced to raise uh, up a defensive force to protect themselves you know, to cover their retreat from France from the from the Papists, mm-hmm. uh, but the reformers in Geneva were critical of that. Mm-hmm. Geneva, I mean, uh, Calvin was somewhat critical, if I'm if if if, if history serves me correct, of the Huguenots uh, and too. and, and Veray, When you read writings of Veray, it's clear that this man was willing to suffer to imitate Christ, and. He was willing to take all the abuse the the world and the devil hurled at him to to be like Christ. Now, if you notice that the Operation Rescue movement, they didn't lash out, they didn't defend themselves against the the brutality of police. In many cases, I think one of the most splendid and he's an unsung hero. People know him in the abolitionist movement. I think one of the most unique examples of her, of heroism and What's called for is Chet Gallagher. Yes, Nevada, Nevada Highway Patrolman, a law enforcement officer who stood with to, with the with the rescuers, uh, and, and you can look him up and, and find out his story. But I, so I don't think that we're called to overcome evil with evil. Right. We're over. We're called to overcome evil with good. But I would submit that if if um, if a child is trapped in a car in a hundred ten degree temperature. Is it lawful for me to break the window? Right. Well, Got that's it. where my question leads to, because the Sixth Commandment says, thou shalt not murder, but there's there's the opposite side of that, which is to protect life. And I, even our confessions well, say that we are to protect life. Well, it, 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 there's a lot of things you can do to uh, interpose and defend life without actually taking life or in, engaging in violence yourself. I mean, I, I, 
I, you're the you're the head of Reconstructionist Radio, so if this needs to be edited out, we can edit it out. But, but you know, I say I, mean, I don't like to edit anything. But out. you know, here's the thing: <laughs> if an abortion mill is not open, no babies are dying that day. Right. And if it's not open enough, they'll begin their balance sheet will begin to right. to to predicate that they must be closed. And you know what? You know what a chi- you know what a, a you know what raw chicken starts to smell like in about <laughs> two or three hours without refrigeration. Mm-hmm. So I made the comment. I said, "We we need to, you know, have a. a, a I don't want to give too much away, but you know, this point is, is that there's a lot of ways that you could immobilize right. a, a, an abortion mill. But but ultimately, I believe that what it's going to take, it's going to take, and I hate to say this because it sounds pietistic, but I think it's going to take pe- Christians suffering for justice. Well, well that's that's in, in large numbers." So, but what kind of suffering? Because, because look. Well, I, personally, it, it, would, I, it, would Jesus allow it, these children to be murdered right there when we're standing on the sidewalk? As an abolitionist, I'm conflicted when today, I'm standing on the today, sidewalk. Today, as an individual, I am not interested in in suicide missions. But yeah. if in the in the case that I mentioned earlier from from First Samuel 12, where the people turned out as one man, right? If the fear of God were to if the Spirit of God came upon a leader, a man that Christians through wide swaths of American culture look to, I would say a guy like a D. James Kennedy mm-hmm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. A man who had gravitas. A man who was respected by everybody. Mm-hmm. If a man like that said, come on, let's go. Let's go. He's being a leader now. He's not preaching. He said, I'll be out there on the front with you. I'll be the first one to get arrested. And, and the Christians challenged the FACE Act Yes, there'd be people arrested, and then they'd come back to, in greater numbers tomorrow, and there'd be more people arrested, and they'd come out in greater numbers the next day, and finally the jails would be full, mm-hmm. and the dockets are full. And I believe at that point, if the people of God rose up as one man in comprehensive obedience, I believe at that point the Lord would step in. But the thing is, we don't know when the people of God would step up as one man. And that's what my dilemma is. And, and I'm not for suicide missions, and that's the only reason why I haven't done things like that it's not past me but it's i I won't do it because it puts me out of the fight well right so we need to be wise but at the same time we fought a revolution we fought a revolution because of no representation this is way greater than not having representation in england this is this is something that's big and i'm speaking freely here it needs to be talked about i mean we we keep this silent but at the same time anything you could do to close an abortion mill without harming individuals is fair game in my book. It's biblical, and it's not absolutely, and it's, and it's righteous. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I gave you the example a few weeks back of uh, seeing Hitler in you know the 1940s and having an opportunity. You know, do you take the shot on Hitler? And, and you know, you're kind of saying Gary North wrote to that and uh, got the guy that killed the abortion doctor. And Paul Hill. Paul Hill. Yeah. We, we uh, narrowed. Yeah, and that's why I wouldn't. I would say do no harm. Right. We're, we're not. We're not called to overcome evil with evil. The church would not be justified in having an army if the Crusades were a holy war of Islam versus Christianity. It would be illegitimate. If it was a defensive war to protect Europe from from the from Islam and the Caliphate, then I'd say it was legitimate. So it's clear that civil magistrate is the one's been given the power of the sword and. Ecclesiastical government, the, the body of Christ has not. Right. Uh, and I think what you, you brought up was, 
you know, a good point of, you know, we can't, we can't be the civil magistrate and just execute every abortion doctor or even woman having an abortion. Um, when a society has told a woman and a doctor that this isn't murder, that this is a, an okay act, that I think that's the deeper issues. And I think we're only going to have limited success if you were to be able to take out abortion doctors, right, or, or even protesting the abortion clinics, which I think we should do with all our might. But back to Gilbert, the question you guys asked Gilbert, asked Gilbert about, the, about L.A. and why is reform view had limited success there, and I think it's back to all of these issues of how much power we have given the federal government and this, even the state government. Um, and, and that's why I've appreciated not only theonomy, but even many in the reform libertarian movement, which there, there's slight differences between them. But both of them, because uh, the dispensationalists, which I grew up in, are adamant against abortion too. Um, but ultimately, they're, they're against it without any real way to change it and, and many of them will go out there and say hey we're gonna yeah. you know vote for hillary clinton because she's for poor people and she's gonna you know help these yeah. people get better wages and this and that and they're not they're not realizing that what's destroyed la what's destroyed the black communities by and large has been these welfare programs that broke up the family right mm -hmm. that took fathers out the home so even before you can get to homeschooling you don't even have dads there at the home to homeschool their kids because right. a government program that Let's let's be. I'm, I'm not going to say it was a, a, a conspiracy to somehow do this, as some would. I'm going to say they meant well, right? They're trying to pass a law that we're going to eradicate poverty, right? They're just under utopian delusions of of leftist, leftist ideology of thinking they're going to somehow create this perfect society, and and so all these things I think lead into the abortion dilemma that we see today, and that's where I think I, I've appreciated. Uh, many of the re within the Reconstructionist movement, because they attempt to address those foundational issues of what are leading women to get abort to get abortions, right? What are leading to the breakup of the family? What are leading uh, to people not being educated as they should? And I think until we address those issues, politics is not a leading indicator. And what and what happens? We tend to default to politics to be the the, the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. And and the fact is that politics is not a leading indicator; it's a lagging indicator. Oh, true. Politics follows culture. Culture does not follow politics. If anything, the arts, mm -hmm. media is the lead, is a leader. Is it, you know you know right. there's more people. That's uh, culture. It's yeah, that's arts. culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and and, and it was and you know L and, Lindsey Brooks had a great uh, at the, at the Boston mm -hmm. conference. Lindsey Brooks had a great uh, uh, topic or, or message on that on the arts being culture, and we need to we need to regrasp that because all the leftist ideology has been led a lot of it through the arts. Right. Right, most of it, yeah. Yeah, I just posted a uh, really uh, good, well-constructed lecture by uh, the music minister at Parish Prez uh, on uh, the arts as dominion. Was that with Minkoff? No, it's not Minkoff, but it was. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of the young man's name, and I'm gonna, and I should. But Minkoff is talking about. He's talking about yeah, that too. But yeah. this guy is the music minister. Is it? Uh, oh, that, and he knows him because they're all big fans. But the, the thing was, art as a tool of dominion. Uh, right. And 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 truthfully, going back to what Gilbert said and and what you know what uh, uh, Jason you know as a homeschooling dad, if there is any hope for America, it's homeschooling families. It is because education is the leading indicator, and that's why it needs to be abolished. And that's why and that's why government perceives it as a threat. The only thing 
the only you know nothing today is going to uh, amount a a credible threat to government but uh, a generation from now the homeschool a homeschooled generation could mount a, a significant threat to it i think we're going to probably have to just endure a whole lot of heartache and and and, and angst and anxiety about the state of affairs i don't see that that it falls to us. I'm not a prophet, but I don't see that it falls to us to, to to change United States Incorporated. But I think a future generation, if God relents, it may. Right. It's to our children's children, and that's why we're. But the but, they, but you know what? They have to they have to be here. Right. And if God call, and if God's wrath falls upon America before uh, they have a chance to grow up, that's why we need to end abortion at least to to try to assuage the blood guilt. Uh, I want to make this last comment that I mentioned to you guys earlier. Take us out. This, the schools. What about the colleges, right? Because we're talking about the K through 12 level. Like I grew up, uh, I was telling Jason this, I grew up with kids that were homeschooled their whole life, all of which aren't walking with the Lord, went off to college, and all that you know, homeschooling did them no good because the pressure from the college level on down and they were, to be fair, they were raised in more of what I would say fundamentalist homeschools than, than what I've seen you guys put out. But, um, and I think there was a huge difference, no doubt. But I think that looking back on my own personal experience, and the colleges were much more anti-Christian, uh, overtly anti-Christian, than were the K-12. So, so, so I think that, I wouldn't say you throw it all out, but there has to be some... Uh, uh, Reconstructing back to these colleges started as Christian well, institutions, right, and were taken over. Let me let me suggest to you that not one there's only one tenet, one of the five tenets of Christian Reconstructionists can anathematize or make a young person bulletproof. So they go they go through they've been homeschooled for for X number of years, and now they go off to an institution because they have to to get their accreditation for a professional career. They can go into college as a five-point Calvinist and not survive it. Right. They can go into college as a post-millennialist and not survive it. If you want to anesthetize, you want to bulletproof or battle-harden your children, make them presuppositionalists. That's right. Because presuppositional apologetics renders every other alternative absurd. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't Amen. think you want to get into uh, Van Til and Clark. Uh, you know, <laughs> Is he a Clarkian? I, I, I would say that, uh, you know, I, I appreciate both guys for various reasons, but I think that both of them were presuppositionalists. But but I'm saying I think both would agree with Bill's okay. statement there. I don't think either of them would have a, a, a problem with what you with you asserted. No there. axioms or, yeah. Yeah, the issue is over, uh, you know, do you start with the knowledge of God or the, or the revelation of God? But at the end of the day, I think, we agree that you know both are important, and that uh, that you said it because I mean I would say my personal experience that was what was most influential on me in making sense of some of these arguments against Christian Christianity are ultimately um, int- until you have a worldview uh, certain you know axioms you use Clark I, I do like the axiom thing where he's basically saying hey you can't do math or geometry without axioms nor can you reason or do logic, or have belief without axioms, uh, and, and then to call them presuppositions and go a different route. But at the end of the day, without those presuppositions to guide us, we can't make sense of anything. And so the myth that everyone's believing is, 
the universities are neutral and they're coming to these neutral understandings, but it's they're why, more biased than any Christian you yeah, ever met. It's why know? moral relativism has been right. a staunch enemy right. of Christianity. And that's why we need to stand as presuppositionalists against right. that moral relativism. It's, it, is, it is the antithesis. Yeah. We must push that antithesis. Yeah, apologetics is not just pre-evangelism. It is making our children bulletproof Amen. to the arguments of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And with that, I guess we'll take it out. All right. Well, we so still got time. some. Uh, I still got some cigar, and still got a. Well, brother, we should actually do a little prayer, like you ended the last one. I think that's a good thing to move forward with uh, the war room. Pray as you go out. You've okay. been exhorting us to prayer. Let's pray. All right. All right. Well, Father, we we thank you for your Holy Spirit that makes true Christian fellowship and brotherhood possible. Father, we know that uh, it's the, it is our mutual union with Christ and our fealty to Him and our commitment to His global conquest that demolishes and, and overwhelms what might otherwise divide us. So, Lord, we celebrate our unity as brothers in Christ under His headship. Father, we thank you that you have been merciful to us and kind to graciously allow us to participate, to have some small role to play in what you're doing in the world as you purpose to make the name of your son Jesus great. Lord, our boast is in him, and we thank you so much for each other and for uh, his obedience. Lord, we revel in the blessings that he has purchased for us. And Lord, if he has laid down his life for us, is anything, is any sacrifice too great for us to make? Lord, empty us of ourselves so that you may fill us with him. We just praise you, Lord. We, we thank you for the manifold blessings you've bestowed upon us and, and upon your church, Lord, universal. Father, you've given us all things because you came to make all things new. Father, you have regenerated us. You have given us new life so that we can go forth with the Great Commission. And teach the nations all that you have commanded. And we thank you for that privilege that you have given us as ambassadors of the King of Kings, your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our High Priest. We thank you for making us priests, a royal priesthood to go forth. We thank you for the fellowship of the saints. Father, we we look through a a glass darkly now, but we know that one day we will see all things clearly. And until then, I pray that you give us the grace to be gracious with one another. Father, we, we have all had our journeys in the Christian faith. Some of us have wandered through the desert. Others, you have seen fit to bring them up to speed quicker. But Lord, help us to, to love one another. For the world will know that we are your, your disciples through the love that we share with one another. I thank you for Brother Bill, Gabe, and Gilbert, and Matt, and, and the 
the brothers who are listening, brothers and sisters who are listening tonight. Lord, I pray that we can be a prophetic voice to those that you have allowed to be put unto our, uh, under our influence, Lord. Give us strength by the power of the Holy Spirit mm. to go forth boldly, wise as serpents and gentle as doves. We pray for Bojadar and for Nathan. Pray for Gordon, for Dustin, for all of the brothers and sisters that you have brought to Reconstructionist Radio. Lord, we don't deserve a platform that you have given it to us. I pray that you can let us continue doing things that will bring glory to you and you alone. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. That's Father. I just want to thank you, Father, for Bill for hosting this show and the, all the shows he's done. Jason for hosting this uh, radio website and just collaboration of audio books, podcasts. Thank you just for Gilbert, Lord, the short time I've known him, just the the fire you've put in him to preach your word. And I just pray you'd use each of their, these men in their homes, on the front lines at the abortion clinics, at the uh, on the front lines and their churches and their workplaces just to be a light unto you father uh, i pray you would just continue to uh, bring us together in unity father make clear that which is clear and that which is peripheral or unclear father i pray you give us charity and grace to um, work through these issues and promote the agenda of your kingdom the things that are most important father so we just pray uh, as we even share this podcast out there none of us claim to be infallible or have all the answers, but we seek for you to continue to guide your people and to give us new revelation, Lord, new answers as, as uh, new situations arise every day, Lord, that we need to seek your face. And so, Father, help us to apply your word to uh, these new things, these uh, really, they're age-old things, but yet they have new ways of coming about and, and difficult things for us to answer. So we pray we would answer them uh, correctly and biblically. So we just uh, give you thanks and praise as we close this out in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Father, we pray that you would break the teeth of your enemy. Yes. Frustrate their efforts. Establish your kingdom. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes. Sola Christus, Semper Reformanda, Semper Videlis, and good night from the war room. Thank you for joining us in the war room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now 
to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.